All right, greetings to all of our campuses. We are so glad you're here. After uh, six days of uh, battling the flu, I'm glad to be here. So I'm glad to be upright tonight. So uh, before we jump into the message, I have a very cool announcement to make. M- many of you know that in February, we launched our Gospel Unleashed Hope Renewed journey, um, which is a one-year initiative to raise much-needed resources for unleashing compassion, planning churches, and developing leaders around the world. Our goal was $700,000 for this this one year, this coming year, and I'm thrilled to announce that we are 97% of the way there, which is awesome. So... Way to go, Christ community. You all are amazing, and you're making such, we together are making such a a huge difference. I'm just really, really proud of you. We are in the second week of a teaching series that is called Love Songs. In this series, we are looking together at the Song of Solomon in the Bible, which is a collection of love songs, of love poetry. And and of course, what makes this collection unique to the Bible is that it's fairly passionate, um, even sexually explicit. And because of that, we often don't really know what to do with this book. And so we end up ignoring it, and we miss out on some incredible relational truths from God's Word. And so we're spending a few weeks here studying portions of this book together and drawing from it some ancient wisdom for our modern relationships. If you have your Bible or iPad or smartphone, um, feel free to turn to Song of Solomon chapter Chapter 1, as we talked about last week by way of introduction to this book, in the Song of Solomon, we see God's vision for our sexuality. God loves sex. He created it. He gave us our sexual desires, and he wants those desires, um, he, he, he wants those to point us toward a healthy experience of love in marriage. So if you missed last week's message, um, I encourage you to watch it online, or you can, you can listen to it via iTunes. In that message, we saw how Song of Solomon provides for us, as singles or marrieds, it provides for us a framework a vision of our sexuality from God's perspective, which is something that is desperately needed today. I mean, let's be honest. Relationships are a mess. Marriages are often falling apart or they're stuck in a a boring routine. People's dating lives are often confusing or frustrating or perhaps filled with uncertainty and, and pain. I mean, where do we look to find answers to our relational challenges? Where, where do we learn how to make these relationships healthy? Well, the Song of Solomon gives us some amazing and helpful insights into these kinds of relationships, how we can move toward a more healthy love relationship. Well, today we're going to talk about a critical foundation for any love relationship, and that is attraction. Attraction, the art of attraction. If you are single and wanting to be married, how do you attract the right kind of person? And how do you know what kind of person to look for? And if you're married, how can you grow in your attraction with your spouse? Both of these questions are answered for us in the first chapter of the Song of Solomon. As we'll see, as we're seeing here, there are two main characters in this love poetry, a man and a woman. And most of the poetic songs involve this couple speaking to each other, certainly about each other. And in their words, we discover some profound and life-changing insights, things that can significantly and positively impact our relationships. And so let's, let's Let's jump in. 
Let's look beginning right in verse 1 here of chapter 1 where the woman begins the poetry. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. This song begins exactly where most of us would assume when talking about attraction. It starts with physical attraction. She's expressing her desire for him physically, sexually, right? Now, now we talked last week about how this desire, the sexual desire, is a good thing. Sexual desire is not bad. It is a God-given thing. However, what becomes clear in the text is that this desire is actually rooted in a relational foundation, which we're, which we're going to see in a moment. This is not simply a girl who sees this guy with his shirt off and his six-pack abs, and she says, I want him, right? I mean, this isn't like the show Friends, you know, some guy walking up to a hottie in a bar and saying, how you doing, right? That's not what's going on here. In, 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 in the Song of Solomon, we see an important relational foundation that has led to this desire, this physical desire. So often what happens today is that a guy and girl meet, and they, they feel this immediate chemistry, right? This chemistry. This is the one they're thinking. And they can't wait to be together. And they spend all this time together. And soon they're, they're holding hands and kissing and hands are roaming and clothes are going, coming off. And what happens is that the physical attraction basically takes over. Whenever they get together, it's all about the physical. They talk less and less. They aren't really getting to know each other any more deeply. It's like, it's like lighter fluid. You know, when you light lighter fluid, there's an initial burst of heat and flame, but it's not sustainable. See, well, what is desperately needed is a more healthy foundation for this attraction. And Song of Solomon chapter 1 gives us this. There are two foundational elements to healthy attraction. The first element is character. Character. Look again at verse 3. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. In, the, in this verse, the woman expresses how this man's name is like perfume poured out. Now, the word name is not a reference to his actual name, as if she is attracted to how cool his name is. I mean, can you imagine my wife Raylene as a teenager lying on her bed at night thinking, I really want to go out someday with a guy named Alan. <laughs> I mean, that name, it just moves me, Alan. You know, that, that's not what's happening here, even though Alan's a cool name, but that's not what's going on here. <laughs> the, the word name refers to his character, it's this, this way throughout scripture. When we talk about the name of God, we're talking about the character of God. It refers to this person's reputation, the person that he is. When she says, no wonder the young women love you, she is describing the fact that other women notice his reputation as well. It is obvious to people in the community. She is attracted to this man because of his character, because of the kind of man he is. Character matters. In Proverbs 31, verse 30, we read, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. See, beauty is fleeting. Character lasts. I, mean, I guarantee, when, when character isn't there and the lighter fluid of passion burns off in the first few months, suddenly this sexual chemistry you thought you had will be in the tank. 
Character matters. My son Caleb has been, um, has been getting me to watch um, some episodes of The Amazing Race, which is a, a television show um, in which couples are racing around the world competing for millions of dollars, right? Or a million dollars or whatever. It's a really intense show. Um, in fact, it kind of stresses me out because everyone's in a hurry and it, that just, I, I live my life that way anyway. And so it just stresses me out. Now, now this, this season, um, this particular season, they've added this unique dynamic. Some of the couples on the race are actually on blind dates. They'd never met each other, and so then they're paired together, and so now they're together all the time, and they're trying to win this race, and, and so I watched it the other day, and there's just, there's one couple, there's just one girl in particular who, who is physically attractive, but she is horrible in terms of how she treats her partner and how focused she is on herself. If you watch the show, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Her character is on display for all the world to see. And honestly, it is so annoying. It is so irritating. It makes you feel sorry for this guy who she is paired with because he's really cool. And she's paired with this guy. There, there is no way this relationship is ever going anywhere. All because of her character. There is something way more significant than physical attractiveness. I mean, without character, beauty loses its appeal. If you're dating someone, pay attention to their character. Do they love God? Are they responsible? Can they keep a job? Are they always focused on themselves? Do they always have to be right? How do they treat people? especially children, or the waitress who's serving them, or their parents? Do they talk down about people when those people aren't there? See, that reveals how they'll treat you after the infatuation has worn off. See, the thing about discerning someone's character is you can't hurry the process. You cannot hurry the process. It takes time to get to know someone's character. Also, pay attention to the people you trust. What are they observing about this person? What, what do they see? Pay attention to the people, the people you trust, what they think of that person, what they're observing. See, that this is such an important part of attraction. It's paying attention to the character of the person you're seeing. Now, there's another aspect of this character piece one of the things we notice in this passage is not only that the woman is concerned about his character, she is also concerned about her own character. She wants her character to be attractive. Look with me at verse 7. She says, tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends. What's going on here? Well, th this woman is expressing interest and in going to see this man during the day. And sh so she asks him where he will be grazing his flock. She's being vulnerable here. She's being vulnerable. She's kind of testing the waters a little bit to see if she's interested in her. But what I want us to notice is this comment she makes about being veiled. Why should I be like a veiled woman? A veiled woman was a prostitute, someone who gave herself sexually for money. So here's what this woman is concerned about. If she just went out into the flocks 
looking for this man without knowing exactly where his flocks were, she would look like a prostitute. She would look like she was going from field to field, from man to man to man. And she doesn't want that. She is a woman of honor. And she wants to maintain that reputation. She is concerned about her own reputation. And she should be. She should be. This is a really good thing. I heard pastor and author Andy Stanley recently ask a very powerful question for anyone dating. Here's the question. Are you becoming the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for? That's a great question. See, attraction goes both ways. Is your character attractive to others? Are you becoming the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for? Are you growing in your love for God? Is his spirit at work in you producing his fruit? Things like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. See, those are the qualities, those are qualities that are attractive in a foundational way. Are you becoming the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for? Brandon was, was a 23-year-old who had grown up in a Christian home. He believed in Jesus. He had done the church thing, right, growing up. But when he got to college, he decided that that faith stuff didn't really apply to his dating life. And so he decided to pursue dating the way the world says to pursue dating. You know, the whole party, bar, sexing, all that stuff. Just hoping to find the right person. So he was in that during college and a little bit afterwards, right? So now he's 23. One day at age 23, he met this girl at work, and in the course of, of the conversation, he realized she was different. Not only was she physically attractive, she was committed to Jesus wholeheartedly. She was gracious in how she treated people. She had clear standards for purity, a direction for her life. I mean, she was amazing. And he thought to himself, that is a girl I'd like to marry. Well, a few days later, he was talking to his dad. He was meeting with his dad. He was talking to his dad about this girl and how awesome she was and, and how he wanted to ask her out. And his dad said, hey, Brandon, that, that's great. But the problem is a girl like that is not looking for a guy like you. And in that moment, he knew his dad was right. He knew his dad was right. That became a defining moment. That became a defining moment for him. That's when he decided he was going to become the kind of man that a girl like that is looking for. It was a total game changer. Total game changer. Character matters. Your name, your reputation matters. Again, are you the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for? Character matters. Singles, it matters. It's married people. It matters. It's an attractiveness. It's critical in this whole area of attraction, our character. Okay, so that's the first quality of a healthy attraction is character. Second quality of a healthy attraction is affirmation. Affirmation. There is this really interesting interplay that happens between the man and the woman in this chapter. Look at verses 5 and 6 of chapter 1. 
This is the woman still speaking. Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard I had to neglect. See, this woman is describing an area of insecurity. She feels self-conscious about her skin, about how dark it was. The reason it was dark is because she had to work outside, and so she became very tan. Now, in our, in our culture, having tanned skin, looking tanned, is often viewed favorably. And some people pay a lot of money to look that way, right? But in, in, in that culture, having dark, tanned skin was looked down upon because it meant this person had to work in the fields, right? It, 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 it communicates something about their social status or whatever. And so she, she admits here that she had to work outside because her brothers made her. And in doing so, she had to neglect her own vineyard. She's talking about her body. She had to neglect her own body. Her skin is darker than she wishes it would be. Now, what I love about this there are several things there, but what I love about this initially is that she's just keeping it real. She's not pretending. She's not hiding. She's basically saying, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. Now look at how the man responds to this. Verse 9, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with string of jewels, strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. See, she says, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. And he says, oh, baby, I'm taking it, right? I mean, he, he likens her to a mare among Pharaoh's horses. Pharaoh's horses were the best of the best, and they pulled his chariot. They would have been stallions, male horses. And so he says to her, you're like a mare, a female horse among stallions, See, everyone knows what happens to a bunch of stallions when a beautiful mare shows up among them. The, the, the man is extolling the woman's beauty and, and the impact her beauty has upon him. Later in verse 15, he says, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Notice where he focuses here. On her eyes, not her body. Yet, that's coming later in the book. But here, in this season of attraction, he is captivated by her eyes. The eyes are a window to the soul. He describes them as doves. He doesn't talk about color here. Oh, your eyes are blue and that's really beautiful. No, the, the doves, it speaks of, he's looking into her soul. The imagery of doves speak of, of peace. He looks into her eyes and he sees peacefulness. And then, and this is so important, he tells her this. He tells her this. Notice what he's doing. He is affirming her. He is expressing tender affirmation. And this affirmation continues in the next verse. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. She says, I am a lily of the valleys. Now, I always thought this was a good thing. But some scholars point out that a lily in the valley is not really, is nothing special. A, a, really, a, a lily, I mean, a lily in the, uh, uh, in the valley is just a lily among many lilies. 
So she's again articulating some insecurity. I'm nothing special. But notice his immediate response, verse 2. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. She says, I'm just an ordinary lily. And he says, you are a lily among thorns. You stand out to me. See, notice what he's doing. He is loving away her insecurities. He is affirming away her insecurities. Guys, listen very carefully. Guys here, we have no, we have no idea. And this is singles, husbands, all guys here. We have no idea the power our words have to either bring life or to bring discouragement to our wives, to our girlfriend, our fiance. Husbands, how do you speak to your wife? How do you speak to her? Well, we've been married a long time. We're just kind of used to each other. No, no, no. How do you speak to her? In a rude manner? In a condescending manner? Do you complain about all she does wrong? Do you point out her flaws? Or are you pouring into her life words of affirmation? Tenderly affirming her. Telling her the things that, about her that you love. Are you appreciating her? Are you affirming her? And by the way, our children are watching. Men, our children are watching. They are learning from us how they're going to treat their future spouse and what's okay and what's not okay. Are we giving them a good example to follow? Husbands, we are to be our wife's lead affirmer. You realize that? That's your role and my role. We are to be our wife's lead affirmer. We are her lover. We need to be generous with praise. More than anyone else in her life, we ought to be the chief affirmer. Are we? And you know what? Thinking it doesn't count. Thinking it doesn't count. We need to practice saying it. Because if we think it and we don't say it, it doesn't impact her in any way. And this goes the other way as well. I've been on the guys here for a moment. It goes the other way as well. We men, we need affirmation. We need affirmation. This woman in the Song of Solomon is repeatedly affirming her man. How his name is as a fragrance. How she views him as a king. Even her desire. Think about this. Even her desire to go out and see where he works in the field. That's a validation of his manhood. That's a val For men, our identity is often wrapped up in what we do. And she cares about what he does for a living. She is validating that. She is affirming that by expressing interest in that. The other day, Raylene came up to me out of the blue and put her arms around me and said, thank you for all you do. Thanks for working so hard and providing for us. Man, that felt great. We need that, all of us, men and women, we need that from each other. This entire book is filled with this kind of tender affirmation and encouragement being expressed. 
Again, I can't emphasize enough, I cannot emphasize enough how powerful this is in our dating relationships, how powerful it is in our marriage. And the reality is, often, it is a choice. It is a choice. We have a choice. Are we going to focus on what we don't like about this person, what irritates us, all that they aren't? Or are we going to choose to focus on their positive attributes, affirming the things that we love about them. I mean, affirmation can have, a, have such a huge, a powerful relational impact, and it's free. <laughs> it's free. It's cheaper than a dozen roses. It's something we have access to all the time. It doesn't cost anything. How often do, we, do, do, do you text a love note to your spouse? How often do you let him or her know that you're just thinking about him? We all possess this power, this privilege to pour life into our relationships. We all possess it. And what a difference it can make when we use that privilege, when we express it. Let me tell you a story about Justin and Maria. They'd been married for 12 years, had three little kids running around. Life was crazy busy. And like many married couples, they began to feel distant from each other. Not only was it busyness, there were some hurts under the surface. When the subject of marriage, their marriage would come up, they usually ended up criticizing each other or blaming each other. So there was distance and tension. One day, out of the blue, something very interesting happened, totally out of the blue. Justin said to Maria, hey, I want to thank you for doing such a great job planning our son's birthday party. You, you have such a neat ability to organize things like that. Maria looked at him skeptically and said, what do you want? What do you want? Nothing. Nothing, he said. I just want you to know I appreciated it. A few days later, again out of the blue, he thanked her for how patient she was with his mother, who he knew at times could be difficult. And then it, then it was a comment about how much he enjoyed being married to her. She started to get worried. I mean, where, where's the sarcasm? Where's the criticism? Where, where's the blaming? But the affirmations just kept coming. The affirming comments, loving texts. One day... She realized she didn't feel nearly as depressed and discouraged as she used to. She realized she felt better about herself and about being a mom. She found herself increasingly appreciative of Justin and the kind of dad he was to their kids. One day, one day, she even told him what a good dad he was. He just smiled. Maria never knew, she never knew what caused Justin to one day start affirming her. But she did know that that decision probably saved their marriage. And it certainly poured joy and life into her heart. It takes just one person in a marriage, in a relationship, one person to start and to break the cycle of negativity and criticism. And the impact can be huge. 
the impact can be huge. In fact, in this passage, we see this impact in a really cool way. Look with me at Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 3, the next verse here. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. This is so cool. She is expressing affirmation to him, right? He's like an apple tree among the other trees. So this is kind of like the lily sort of thing, but this is her perspective. He's like an apple tree among all these other, whoa, all these other ordinary trees. Okay. All right. So we're just going to keep going here. I'm not going to let this distract me at all. It's just because it's right here, but uh, no, we're good. Okay, thank you. So this is so cool here. Don't miss this. She's expressing affirmation to him. He's like an apple tree among all these other trees. He's special to her. And notice what she says next. I delight to sit in his shade. Remember what she felt insecure about? Her skin color. That she had to work outside and that the sun had darkened her skin. But now she says, I delight to sit in his shade. This is how she feels with this man. She feels protected. She feels secure. This is what every woman longs for in the context of her marriage or dating relationship. She longs to feel secure to feel protected, to know that she has value, to know that she is beautiful to her husband. For those of you who are dating, let let me encourage you to ask yourself a question in your relationship. If you're dating, ask yourself this question. Do I feel better about myself or worse about myself after spending time with this person? If you're in a dating relationship that makes you feel worse about yourself, time to get out of that relationship. ASAP. You deserve better. Guys, we have such an amazing privilege and responsibility to provide this security, this protection for our wife. Later, she talks about this banner over me is love. We don't have time to explore that, but it's all about protection. It's this protective covering of love that we have the privilege of providing for our our, our, our spouse or our girlfriend through tender affirmation. And women, you have such an amazing opportunity as well to pour life into your husband or your boyfriend through your words of love and respect and affirmation. The Song of Solomon gives us this very important and foundational perspective on attraction. Again, it's a perspective that is so needed in a world like ours, where physical attraction and sex are becoming more and more the basis of many people's attraction to each other. And we saw last week how powerful and wonderful sexuality can be in the context of a committed love relationship known as marriage. But when it's taken out of that context and it becomes the basis for a couple's attractiveness to one another, watch out. It makes a terrible basis for attraction to one another. I'm not saying it's not a good thing. We already talked about that. But it makes a terrible foundation. 
It will provide an illusion of closeness and attraction, but without the solid foundation that we're talking about here, it's, it, it'll be without the solid foundation upon which you can build a relationship that lasts a lifetime. That solid foundation for godly attraction is rooted in these two things, two essential things, character and affirmation. Paying attention to this person's character and reputation, as well as our own, and then learning to be a person of affirmation, practicing the art of affirming in our relationships. I mean, the result will be healthier dating relationships, healthier marriages, and quite honestly, healthier relationships in general. We can apply this in almost any context, no matter what our situation, whether married, widowed, single, single again, how many of our relationships would benefit from these two foundational principles of attraction doesn't even have to be with people we're dating or whatever. Imagine the impact in our workplace if we applied some of these principles, being a person of character and being a person of affirmation. I mean, think, think about this. Isn't this what attracts us to God? I mean, isn't that what makes him attractive to us? First of all, his name, right? His character, that he is faithful, that he is loving, that he is good. He keeps his word, that he is holy, he is just. We love him for who he is. His name is incredibly attractive to us. And when we turn to him in faith, when we place our faith in Jesus, we discover his wonderful affirmation and love. Because of Jesus' death on the cross for us, we can enter into a permanent love relationship with him, a relationship in which he constantly whispers to our soul, you're mine, you are mine, you are my beloved, I love you just the way you are, and I love the person that you're becoming in me. The more we focus on and are attracted to Jesus, the healthier our attraction will be in all our other relationships. I mean, that's how powerful his love is. Let's pray together. <coughs> Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now to come and to lead us to a response. And we're talking about things that are so important at a heart level. And we welcome you to speak into our relationships, Lord. I want to pray, first of all, for this area of, of character. whether we're married, single, just as we evaluate our character, are we people whose name is attractive because of how we treat people, how we keep our word, how we're, we're responsible. We are gracious with people, whether it's the waitress or our CEO, we're gracious. We treat people the same We pray you would work in us the, whole, the, the fruit of the Spirit to be the kind of people you want us to be. That we would focus on our character 
and even for those who are dating here and just becoming the kind of person, the person you're looking for is looking for. I pray for that. You would do that work in us, Lord. And for those of us who are married, God, we would, Lord, for, forgive us when we just kind of think, oh, yeah, we had nice character in order to attract our spouse, but now we're married. We don't have to treat them that way. For, God, forgive us for that, Lord. Help us realize character matters. We want to live this. We want to treat our spouse the same way we treated when treated them when we were dating with honor and respect. So we pray for that. That our name would be like a fragrance to people. And secondly, Lord, I just want to pray for this area of affirmation. Every one of us possesses this ability and it doesn't cost anything where we can pour life into our spouse. We can pour life into our girlfriend or boyfriend. We can pour life into our workplace through affirmation. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, you would help us. You would fill us. You would empower us to be people who pour out life our relationships. I pray for guys here, Lord. I pray we would understand the role, the critical role we have for husbands here as our, our wife's chief affirmer, that we would be providing a protective covering over her through our affirmation. <coughs> and we pray for that, that our wives would feel secure and loved because of the kind of men we are. And I pray for the women here too, that they would also be pouring out affirmation in their relationships as well, Lord. That you would just be pouring life through us. And God, it's, it's root, all of this is rooted in you, Jesus. It's nothing we can do in our own power. It's rooted in the kind of savior you are, your name your character, you are awesome, you are loving and faithful and, and merciful and holy and we praise you for your name and we open our hearts afresh to your affirmation. Thank you, Jesus, for pouring out your love into our hearts. And because of that, we can pour into the lives of others. And so we just pray for that. Through your love, you would be pouring love through us into the people around us. Thanks for that privilege, Lord. Help us to be attractive in that sense, God. To be people of character, people of affirmation. Thank you, Lord. So we want to take a moment, in just a moment, actually, we're going to receive the the Lord's Supper. And what, a, what an awesome expression of Jesus' love for us and his affirmation for us. So, ushers, if you want to get the stuff ready, and when you're ready, if you want to come on up, <clears throat> that would be great. And, and as they're, they're coming up here, I want to just encourage us, as the elements are being passed, We'll partake together at the end of that. But as the elements are being passed, uh, yeah, just come on up if you would when, when you guys are ready. Thank you. 
as the elements are being passed. Um, and then just, just wait up here, ushers, if you would, for just a moment until I pray. But I want us to reflect as the elements are being passed on the Father's love for us and the impact that his love can have in our relationships. So let me pray, and then the elements will be distributed. Jesus, thank you for your body given for us, represented by this bread. Thank you for the, the blood you shed for us. And we want to reflect upon your love right now. We reflect upon your love for us and the impact it could have in our relationships. Thank you, Lord. Okay, go ahead and distribute the elements, please. Thank you.